Thanks, Josh. Hey, guys, how's it going? Good to see you. If you have a Bible, uh, I'd love it if you opened it up to Psalm 67 this morning. Psalm 67, and as you're doing that, let's all stand together. I'm going to read this for us, Psalm 67. Thank you. Appreciate that. Psalm 67. That's what it reads. It says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity, and you guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. God, we pray that as we open your word, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us, that you would show us uh, just how beautiful and essential Jesus is in our lives and what that means for the world. And so, God, I pray that you'd speak uh, powerfully, Lord, that, that we would uh, really experience your presence, God, through your word this morning. Uh, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Uh, we really only do live once, don't we? We only live once. So the question is, how are you going to spend your life? You only do it once. So how are you going to spend your life? And I think to answer that question, how are you going to spend your life, I think a good follow-up would be, um, how, how do you, what is it that you long to see happen in the world? What is it that doesn't exist right now in the world that you just like long to see it happen? And then secondly, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Uh, David Livingston, who was a missionary to Africa, once said, sympathy is no substitute for action. Just being sympathetic, that's not a good substitute for action. So what do you long to see happen in the world, and what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? I think it's important to realize that God longs to see something happen in the world, and he's actually doing something about it. He's doing something about it. You see, God is a missionary God, and the Bible is the divine story of his missionary work. Uh, in fact, Nina Gunter uh, once said, if you take missions out of the Bible, you won't have anything left but the covers. That's what she said about the Bible. See, God longs to see something happen in the world, and he is doing something about it. He has an aim in life to which he is at work, and the, the aim of his life is to see his glory cover the whole earth as the waters cover the sea, or to use the phrase in Psalm 67, it's to receive the praise from all people in all places on the face of the planet. It's to receive praise from all people in all places. And so if this is his aim, and if it's what's going to happen in life, then it would be really life-giving for us as people who follow him if we were to share in his great aim. It'd be really wise of us to do that, actually. And so there's just three things, uh, simply, that I want to do in our short time together this morning 
uh, and see from this passage. It should be on the screen behind me. In verses 1 through 2, I want us to see the aim of blessing, the aim of prayer, and the aim of life. And the aim, what I'm meaning is, what is the end of this thing? Like, why do these things exist? Like, what's the point when we engage in these things or ask for these things? So first, verses 1 through 2, what is the aim of blessing? In other words, why should you pray for blessing? Why should you pray for blessing? It says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. See, here's the, here's the big idea of these verses. Do you guys notice it? The big idea. What are God's people praying for? What are they praying for? They're praying for God to be gracious to them. They're praying for God's grace upon their life. And they're praying for him to bless them and to make his face to shine upon them. This is like, they're, they're, uh, the psalmist is robbing these words from previously in your Bible. He's not making these words up. He's actually recycling them. If you remember in Genesis this summer, we looked at this, God blessed Abraham. He said, I'm going to bless you so that you'd be a blessing. It's the same idea that we see right here. These aren't new ideas, they're recycled ideas. And the priest Aaron, when God tells Moses to go tell Aaron to go tell the people to say something, he tells them to go say, may God be gracious to you and bless you and make his face to shine upon you. So this psalmist, he's just picking up these words, he's recycling them, and he's breathing God's promises into the present. And that's really important for us because we must see that God's promises aren't just things we remember, there's things that we gravitate and hold on to, and we breathe them into our present. And that's exactly what the psalmist is doing here. But they're praying for God's grace, for God to bless them, to make his face to shine upon them. Essentially, they're praying for God's gracious blessing and favor upon their lives. So you should be praying for this. This is like biblical, right? And so if you're anything like me, you're like, yeah, this is awesome. This is good. I mean, who doesn't want to be blessed, right? Who doesn't want grace? Right? Who doesn't want light? I mean, who loves the darkness? I'm scared of the dark. You are too, right? I mean, who doesn't, who doesn't want this kind of stuff, right? I mean, we all want this, don't we? Who wants it? But let's just pause and get a definition clear here because we toss around some of these words a little bit. One of the words mainly is the word blessing. Like if someone sneezes, you say, bless you. Yeah, you're all nice. I don't do it anymore. I think it's dumb. But you guys, some of you still do it. You say, bless you, right? Or if you've ever talked to a grandma before, they might see someone acting a certain way and go, oh, bless his heart, right? Have you heard your grandma say this before? What she means is he's acting like an idiot, right? <laughs> bless his heart. Oh, bless his heart, right? This is how we use the word blessing. But blessing in the Bible is the idea of approval. It's the idea of provision. It's the idea of presence, really. We often dumb down blessing just to stuff. We dumb it down to stuff. And so we might live in a nice neighborhood, and so we say, I'm blessed. Or we drive a really nice car, so we say, I'm blessed. We get the job that we've always wanted, and so we say, I'm blessed. Right? Or we get the man or the woman of our dreams, we say, we're blessed. Right? And so we think of blessing in terms of stuff so often. And so if we do that, then the opposite is equally as true, isn't it? I'm not feeling very successful in my job, so I'm not blessed, right? Um, Josh, I, I don't have a family. Um, I'm single. 
therefore, I'm not blessed. That's what I want. Or I am married and we can't have kids. So surely I am not blessed. Right? Do you see how that works? When we dumb it down to stuff? Not that those things are bad things or amazing things. But it's not simply that. We equate provision of what we want with being blessed or not being blessed. But what we do when we do that is we mistake the provider for provision. We substitute the creator for the created. But look at what blessing looks like here. Blessing is actually found in having God himself. That's what they're asking for. That's what the idea of having your face to shine upon us. It's the idea of having God, experiencing the very presence of God. Right? Not just his stuff. Um, I, I, was, I was away from my kids for nine out of the last 12 days, different trips. And I would talk to them, you know, FaceTime with them wherever while I was away. And I always missed them. They missed me. And, uh, you know, it was really awesome to be reunited with them yesterday. And let me just say to you, uh, me and my wife, we got to go to Disneyland for, for a day together uh, this week. And so just imagine if we FaceTimed them and we were like, hey, guys, we're just going to hang out in Disneyland for another month. Um, but, hey, we're going to send you stuff, you know. We're going to send you every stuffed animal you want, the Mickey ears you've been dreaming of, whatever it is. Like, what, what, name it, we'll send it to you, right? Just imagine what our kids would think. Like, they like that stuff, they want that stuff, but what do they really want? What would it be for me to really bless them, for me to come home, right? The stuff might be nice, but they don't really want the stuff. If you're, if you're a child of a parent, you know this. Like, you want your parent there. That's what you want. It's the same idea. That's what we see of blessing. It's getting God. But here's the question. Why do these people want this? Why do they want to be blessed? Here's the million-dollar question. Why do you pray for God to bless you? Why should you pray this morning for God to bless you? What does it say? Why do these people pray for it? It says it so that they can be comfortable, so that they'll be happy. No, it says so that God's ways, so his salvation would be known on the earth, that it would be known amongst all nations. It says bless us, be gracious to us, so that your salvation, you would be famous in the whole earth. That's why we're praying this. Guys, it's actually here that we discover what the prayer of every Jesus follower who is free from themselves and fully living to God sounds like. That they pray for God's favor on their life, not for the sake of themselves, not even for the sake just of other people, but for first and foremost for the sake of God's fame in the world. The beating and bleeding heart desire of God's people is that God would be known over the face of the whole earth. It's the desire for God to be known, to be seen, to be experienced, to be famous. That's what this psalm is crying out for. This is the aim of blessing. Do you notice this? The posture of God's people in these verses is a posture of need. They need grace. They don't have it. They're asking for it. They need blessing. They don't have it. They're asking for it. They're in a place of need. They're in want, and they know what they ultimately need is only found in God, so they're asking for it. But the aim of their wanting is not simply in their having those needs satisfied, but it's in the giver of the blessing to be famous in the world. It's a cry for God to give, to pour out, in order that he would be put on display as an incredible giver. That's what they're asking for. It's the aim of blessing, the aim of prayer. So secondly, we see is, what is the aim of prayer? Verse 3, 
Verse 3 says, Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad, sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Verse 3 and 4 is the same, same verse, basically. It's repeating and it's highlighting verse 4, which is the middle verse. We see here God's reign is universal. It says, let the peoples praise you. If you're wondering who are these people that this is talking about, the next verse clarifies it for you. Who is it? What peoples? Somebody tell me. All the peoples. Yeah. It's everybody. All the peoples. The call for all peoples in all places to praise God is given in verse 4. For you judge the peoples with equity. A better word that you might understand better is the word fairness. He's fair. Basically, the way he judges everybody who would judge them, God would judge, they would say, you're right. You're right. That's that's appropriate. He leads the nations on the earth. All people should praise God because he's a fair judge. He's the leader of the whole earth. He leads and he guides all people. So catch this. Did you catch how people experience God's judging and his guiding? How are people experiencing his rule and his reign, his judging and his guiding? What's their experience of that? Did you catch how they experience it? How does it feel when you experience God in this way? When God really is your God, how does that feel? What's your experience like? When you're praising God, what's the experience? It's joy. God's judging people. He's guiding people. What's their experience? Sheer, utter joy. It's joy. What does it say? Be glad. Let the peoples be glad. Let them sing for joy. Let them enjoy being ruled by God as their God. That's what the experience of, of having God as your God is. And we all know this. You could have bad gods who you think are good, but then once you start experiencing their mastery over your life, it's awful, isn't it? It might feel good for a time, but then you're not singing for joy, ultimately. I like to put it in very down-to-earth terms. Remember when you were like in elementary school? This is like my kid's life right now. Every new year, you get a new teacher, and who you got as a teacher affected how well you enjoyed that year, didn't it? Because if you got some like crotchety old lady or something who was just mean all the time, and she had her favorite students, and, you know, just, you know, made your life miserable or something. The whole year, yes, it didn't mean your life was ruined or something, but nonetheless, you would go like, this is not going to be very fun. It's not a good school year. Why? Because your teacher, the one who's leading you every day, is not a very fair or maybe generous teacher. But if you had a teacher who really cared about you, they were fair, right? They didn't just have favorites or something like that, but they cared about you, they guided you, right? That was a great experience as a kid. Who's your leader really matters for you. And here we see what it looks like to have God as your leader, to have God as your God. It's joy. It's sheer joy. They're singing about it. They're singing for joy. They're not, they're not muttering it, right? They're not mumbling it to themselves. They're not keeping it inside. They're experiencing God, and they're singing for joy. They're shouting for it. Because Why? You see the twofold character display of God here in verse 4. He's fair judge, 
He's a good guide. He's a king. He's a shepherd. He's a ruler. He's a caretaker. Right? What an incredible God. He's fair, meaning every single time he judges, people go, yep, that's right. That's wise. He's a great shepherd. This means that when God is judging the nations, he's simultaneously caring for the nations. This means that when God is judging you, he's simultaneously loving you. We have a hard time marrying these ideas together. But again, do you see it? This is a prayer, this is a cry, this is a song from the very heart and lips of God's people. They are displaying their global heart. It's not just some rando person writing this, being like, I love the nations, and everyone else is like, yeah, he's just the nations guy. You know, Israel's not like, that's our global-hearted Israelite over there writing a psalm or something. He's singing it, but, you know, we just love Israel. No, this is like all of Israel would sing this song. This is like the song of a people, not a person, right? They're praying this. They're desiring this. It's the heart of a whole people. It's to be the heart of us. So how do you get a global heart? How how does your heart become more sensitive towards the nations? But not just sympathetic, that actually is moved towards action. How does that happen? Well, two ways. Number one, realize, this is really important, realize when you're reading this, that this phrase, the nations and the peoples, is actually referring to you. It's referring to me. These people were, were singing this and praying this a long time ago. They're saying, let all the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. They had a global heart, and God sent someone to you. Someone's singing this. Someone's praying this. Do you realize Christians have been praying for for thousands of years for, for Christians to be mobilized and to share the good news with other people, and someone did that with you. God answered the prayers of somebody and sent them to you and shared the gospel with you. At one point, you were amongst all the peoples, and God sent someone to call you out from the peoples to be a person who now sings this and prays this, that more peoples would come in. You're actually in this psalm, but you're not the singer originally. You're the one being sung about that would come out. But secondly, you're going to get a global heart when you have a heart for God and not just yourself. When you have a heart for God and not just yourself when we actually lose our life in His, when we truly love God and we don't simply use God in order to love ourselves, or when we actually serve God and we don't just use God to serve our needs. Because what's the ultimate aim of this prayer? It's that people would praise God. You're longing for something to happen to God. He is the the greatest in your life, right? Everything's revolving around Him. Your heart is for Him, not just for yourself. I'll never forget, um, it's very vivid in my memory, when I was in college, I loved, still do, the band uh, Death Cab for Cutie, okay? And I remember I was like so excited, I was going to go see them for the first time, and I was talking to this guy who was like an acquaintance of mine, his name was Zach, he's not listening to this, and uh, his name was Zach, and I was like, man, I'm going to go see Death Cab, and uh, he got so mad, it was weird. He got so mad because he had been listening to Death Cab forever, for like two years, you know? He was listening to Death Cab for so long, like two or three years, and he was like total hipster kid, and um, he got so mad. 
And his response to me going and hearing Death Cab was, I can't believe it. These guys are selling out. I've loved Death Cab for so long. They've been my band. And now everyone else is starting to love Death Cab. He's literally just going on this rant, you know, so upset. It was really awkward. And I was like, yeah, sorry, I'm going to this concert, you know. But we get the idea, right? He thought Death Cab, for some reason, which a lot of us do this with different people, he thought Death Cab made him somebody. The fact that he knew Death Cab, loved Death Cab, listened to Death Cab, it was like an identity to him. He wanted Death Cab for himself, but he was using Death Cab to kind of form his own identity out of that somehow. He didn't love Death Cab, like, I just love Death Cab's music. I want Death Cab to be famous. I want more people to enjoy their music. He wasn't excited about that. He loved Death Cab just being his own little band, right? This is the same thing we often do with God. We're so content with him just being our God. We're not like, we want him to be praised. We want him to be famous. I want more people to enjoy his his rule and his reign and his guiding because it's so good. I'm enjoying that in my life. But this is exactly what we see in this psalm. You could think of it this way. Uh, We're all kind of like buckets. We're all kind of like buckets, okay? And just like every bucket... At first, we're empty, and we long to be filled up with something. We're longing to be fulfilled somehow, in some way. And so we look to different things to fill up our bucket. And even when we come to God so often, we want Him to fill up our bucket with His life, but we want it to be really tidy. We don't want to make a mess of it. We want it to be filled up just as much as we want it to be filled up with His life, but we, please, we don't want to make a mess. We don't want it to spill over, right? We want to contain it ourselves. But what you see in the Christian life, what you see in Psalm 67 is the exact opposite of that. God's desire is to come alongside, to pour his life into your bucket so that you would overflow and be a huge mess to the world, a blessing mess, that you would get that blessing mess on so many other people around you. You're not filled up to just contain and be tidy. You're filled up to overflow with God's blessing. And that's the heart of these people. That's the aim of their prayer. That's how we get a global heart. It's seeing that you're in here, but it's in praying for God's praise among all peoples. So we see. But thirdly, we see the aim of life. We actually see the promise that's held onto here of what's going to be. And they're clinging to it. The earth has yielded its increase. This is like a harvest psalm. So they were singing this because God showed up, good harvest season. God physically provided for them. The earth has yielded its increase. But then look what they do. Then say, God, our God, has blessed us. Nope, it says, God, our God, he will bless us. They're clinging to what they've just experienced physically, and they're gravitating towards a truer, brighter future that they know is coming because of this. God will bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. All right, so this is a material blessing. We see this in verse 6. But the amazing thing is that between the beginning of this psalm and the closing blessing of this psalm, the entire focus is not on material blessings at all, but it's actually on spiritual blessings. That's all you see. It's on experiencing God himself. Because what does it say over and over? Oh, Lord, let your way be known. Let 
Let your salvation be known. Let praise arise to you from all peoples. Let joy overflow from the hearts of the nations. Show yourself a righteous judge. Show yourself a powerful, wise guide. It's all spiritual blessing that they're talking about. But they're looking towards a physical blessing, and they're saying, let's use that towards these spiritual ends. And so this cry is a desire for God to receive praise and fame from all peoples in all places, and it moves here to a spot in the end where God's people are clinging to this sure hope that He will bless them. He will bless them. And what does blessing feel like? It feels like God's fame spreading. It feels like people praising God. That's what it says. God will bless them. His fame will spread. You will experience His grace. That's the language of the whole thing. God will bring blessing. And so here's the thing. If you know what's going to happen, if you know it, then you can take some risks, right? If you know the end outcome, if you're singing, we will be blessed. We will see the face of God. We will experience His light. But we could take some risks, can't we? I think we're living in a time uh, where Christians are wanting to live more safely than ever. And we do it under the banner of wisdom. But Christians throughout centuries have been the greatest risk takers because of this very thing, because we know the end. We know what's going to happen. We can risk because we're sure of it. I mean, this whole idea is the very reason why there's still Beaver football fans in the world. Let's be honest with you. Okay? Why? Because we don't know the future, do we? We don't know the future. If you knew that the Beavers were going to win a national title someday in football, but you didn't know when, you would still invest today as a fan, wouldn't you? Because you're like, it might be this year. And then after a week or two, you're like, it's not this year, but let's build towards the future, right? Maybe next year. And if we knew it was coming, we would keep investing, wouldn't we? Right? But if you knew that the Beavers were never going to win a national title in football... I mean, what are we doing, right? I mean, if we knew this is the outcome every year, like, let's just stop going, okay? Let's reallocate the money or something. I don't know, right? I'm not, I don't, I'm the president of OSU. But nonetheless, if you knew it wasn't going to happen, I bet there'd be less investment on your part. I would actually say there'd be no investment, probably. But the fact that you don't know creates within you a sense of still belonging and still investing. And if you really did know, you would definitely invest, because you want to be there when that parade happens, won't you? See, this is the same thing with God. If this is the great end, then let's live towards the great aim of life. Let's live towards the great end because we know the parade's coming. We know it's going to happen. It gives me reason to invest now because I know what's coming. See, and we like Israel, we would seem see our physical harvest or our blessing. Again, this is a harvest psalm, and our concern will be that God uses that physical blessing for His name and His fame to spread among all peoples and all places. Guys, we really only do live once. Like, think about that. We really do. 
You have one life. So how are you going to use it? Will you use it towards the great end and aim of life? We see in these verses. This will be on the screen. John Keith Falconer said, I have but one candle of life to burn, and I would rather burn it out in a land filled with darkness than in a land flooded with light. If my life is a candle, I'm going to let that candle burn out in a land of darkness rather than in a land filled with light. It's going to burn. Uh, James Calvert, uh, he was a missionary uh, who went to the cannibalistic tribes of the Fiji Islands. That'd feel kind of dangerous, right? And when he was getting off the ship, the ship captain tried to turn him back. And he said, you will lose your life and the lives of those with you if you go among such savages. You want to know Calvert's reply? He said, we died before we came here. That guy burned his candle in a land of darkness, and he did it joyfully. Why? Why? Because he experienced the call of Jesus who said, if you want to follow me, you must die to yourself. And if I died to myself, but I'm still walking and breathing, I'm living for someone else, so who am I going to live for? We've already died, is what he said. If we live for him, we get his heart and we desire to see him praised. One of the stories I heard this week uh, of a girl... Um, who was a Muslim and converted by listening to some sermons from a pastor in Southern California. And so she went back to the Middle East and told her family that she'd become a Christian, and um, her uncle just started beating her to death um, to the point where um, I mean, she, he was just beating her, beating her, and her dad actually saved her and sent her back to the United States and said, you can never come back. But he kind of did it as a fatherly love for his daughter kind of thing. And so she went back to the States, and this pastor heard the story about how she came to faith and was even beaten by her uncle and survived, and he wanted to meet with her. And so he met with her, and he just said to her, how in the world did you go through that? How is it that, you know, you just endured that beating? How did, how did, how did that work? Like, how did you survive and sustain that? And she said, while I was being beaten by my uncle, I knew that he had a religion he was willing to kill for. But I knew I had a God and a Savior that I was willing to die for. And she said all that because she knows, like you and I know, who follow Jesus. Jesus initiated that dying. He didn't say, die to yourself, as if he didn't know what that meant but he actually died for you, not in some internal, just metaphorical way per se, but an actual physical way. He gave his life for you and me. I mean, to be a woman like that, to say, I'm willing to die for my Savior, not kill for a religion. She can say that because she knows the gospel. 
She knows that her God was willing to die for her, which, my gosh, blows our minds. Because people are going to call you, and they have been calling you your whole life to live a cookie-cutter life. You'll be called to live a cookie-cutter life. You're told, hey, have a nice upbringing, go to a good school, have fun, not too much fun, if you know what I mean, study hard, get a good degree, get settled into your career, maybe do some further education, get married, start a family, go watch soccer games on Saturdays, raise those kids well, send them off, pay for their college, retire, relax, enjoy it, you've worked hard. That's still the dream. That's the cookie-cutter dream that we're given. It's like a bake sale that goes on all the time. This is what we're living for. But guys, if you're like that woman, or like Calvert, or the people in Psalm 67... The gospel is like a stick of dynamite that blows up those dreams and says the bake sale's over. Jesus is worth everything. If I have the approval, the blessing of God, if I have the favor of God upon my life, if I know the end, that I will be blessed, that I will see God, that I will be with him, that I'll have the greatest blessing, I'll have God himself in all of his glory, then game on. If God's glory is the glory that I care about in this world, then the cookie-cutter bake sale has to be over. I'm going to lay my life down. Because God is gracious, He aims to be known among all people. And because He is sovereign, He will be known among all people. This is the end to which we've been blessed. This is our prayer. This is our mission. This is our joy, no matter what it costs. So ask God to bless you, but but have a bigger end than just yourself. Pray for all peoples to praise and enjoy God, but pray that, that knowing someone once was praying for you. Pray that knowing they were praying for you. And live toward the great aim of life, that God will bless. He will be known and enjoyed. Guys, we have one candle to burn. Let's burn it out in the dark. Let's do that. Father, I ask this morning that you would mobilize each one of us and show us how you're calling us uh, to burn our candles in this world, God. Uh, If that's here in Corvallis forever, if that's in a mountain somewhere where people have literally never heard the name of Jesus before, God, I pray that you um, you would speak so clearly and convictingly to our lives this morning, God that you might rip us out of our, um, especially me, God, just out of my me-centeredness. And would you center us upon Jesus and his great sacrifice for us. We love you, God. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.